0: This is the AB Testing 343 Podcast, a podcast where we ask one of the three listeners of the AB Testing Podcast three questions about almost anything. ABT 343 is a fun slice of what's going on in the world of modern testing. Let's get started. We're back again for another ABT 343, and this time with another name I had to practice to pronounce. Uh, Please welcome Yulia Bagre. Hi. Did I do okay?
1: Almost, but that's uh, no problem. <laughs> I'll
0: take a I'll take a B plus. How are you doing?
1: oh fine.
0: Good. Very active member of our Slack community. Happy to have you as one of our three listeners. Always exciting for Brent and I to hear more about what's going on in the world of our three. And this is yet another. Covid nineteen edition. Uh, Brent and I actually recorded episode one eighteen this morning, also remote. Went a little better than last time. I'm excited to get that out. But but enough about Brent. Today it's the Ay podcast, as I like to call it, and we have Yulia here to tell us all kinds of things. As you know, it's three questions for three listeners. Uh, for one of our three listeners, and tangents are allowed. I think a good first question that's worked with a lot of people is. Tell me about your path into testing and what you're doing now.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I like how you almost everyone was asked about it. And it's nice to learn about other people in our community. So um, comparing to others, I'm probably maybe the youngest one because my testing career is just five years. And this is almost my whole career. I wasn't working as um anyone else before i just came to testing after the university i'm initially from kazakhstan Mm -hmm. so my problem was that i wanted to start working remotely right away because uh, my uh current husband was working remotely too so we wanted to go around the places and i was very very lucky to find the place as a junior in remote, fully remote company, uh, which was specializing in testing, and they also provided testing courses for other companies, but for the employees, they were obviously free. So, uh, I had a place to learn from the start. And some of the people in that company or the community around it uh, are actually very well known in uh, Russian-speaking uh, testing community. So I think it's probably was the best place to start being a tester. And uh, it wasn't a product company; we were mostly like you know uh, outsourcing or outstaffing because we were. Uh, we were contracted to do that testing, but we weren't like, you know throw over the board some people do stuff. Uh, no, we were integrated into the actual uh, development teams. So it was closer to real world product company. And uh, my last project was uh, it was the most important one. It was a government project. It was very very, very big very 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 motivated to work on and I also burned out <laughs> on it <laughs> hugely but that's another story uh, and the best thing that what happened on it is that at some point and I think Alan you'll like it I uh, was on the crossroads to switch from the you know so-called manual tester to either be automation engineer, like write Selenium, how you like it, or uh, to switch to be integration tester. So it's uh, in this case, it was uh, SOAP services. And I don't know how it happened, but it was either me or my direct manager, who's always my friend. <laughs> um, and I decided to go to integration testing and not automation. Uh, and I think it was the best decision of my life because I really just a fan of APIs and everything that's about it
0: well you, you know my opinion on that there's a level of hell that includes people who write selenium all day.
1: Well, I actually write selenium now, but oh. yeah it's it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think it was very cool that at that point in my life I decided not to do that uh, and to learn the actual skills and uh, the area uh, that was a bit different from usually is expected expected to do from the testing career. Uh, and uh, then I moved to the Canada to Montreal, and I had to find local job and it wasn't easy because you know you don't have a local Canadian experience you don't have French suitable to work like I mean I can speak a bit but it's not okay for day-to-day work so uh, and also I was very picky because after that government project I I, I couldn't move to you know to test some website some kind of you know like uh, store pages and something like that and i also didn't want to work in outsourcing companies anymore because there's just not enough i don't level of agency uh stake in the game when you when you have conflicting interests you're either working for your company or for customers of that product or for who you're trying to work. So when I was looking for work here, I was looking for the product companies and the product companies who do something meaningful. Uh, I found one and currently I am uh, I have a very mixed position. I write automation yes, selenium yes and even uh, because of the some project uh, problems it's uh, in Python so it's not even easy stuff like you know Cypress or Test cafe it's a bit harder to do that in Python we don't have enough libraries in that language I also do a P- API testing sometimes UI testing which I hate and,
0: <laughs> okay no, yeah. no, no, now I'm liking you more
1: yeah. <laughs> And I also, uh, not exactly a tester anymore, just this week, right this week really, uh, I think I'm starting to switch not being a tester at all. And I don't know real name for this position yet, but it's something about developer experience.
0: What does that mean? We don't think to give a name to it yet, but what will you be doing?
1: So, um, I don't know about uh, how to properly name it because it's just uh, two weeks ago, I actually no- learned that there are special teams in some bigger companies that do that. Uh, developer experience is all about... Um, so user experience is for you know, regular customers who like, click buttons and do this kind of thing. And developer experience is for uh, customers of API. So what developer experience team usually do does, it's uh, creating API guidelines, uh, cre- creating or researching tooling to help writing better APIs to enforce these guidelines, prepare documentation, and sometimes even development relationships. So when you communicate with your external or internal uh, users of API. So that's kind of thing.
0: Is it like uh, developer productivity, would you say? Or is this more on the experience side?
1: It's, yes, yeah, it is. Uh, but uh, there is uh, a level of authority here because you're actually creating rules like, okay, we should follow this API guideline and... I need all of your input for it. So please leave your comments. But then this API guidelines would be enforced. It's just, just you know, like, we making your life easier.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I brought up developer productivity because that's, if you've read the Google software testing book, uh, James Whittaker, or actually he delegated most of the writing of that book. But he talks about the move of quite a few of their testers into this developer productivity role. Mm-hmm. where the role was to make it easier for developers to do good work. And in your case, it's an interesting twist on it. And I think it's good where there's some leadership aspect and some standards aspect where you're trying to, and this is the challenge, and my favorite leadership quote, which I've used on the other podcast quite a lot, is leadership is disappointing people at a level they can absorb. And I think in your role, in your team's role, it's a lot about figuring out, not just how many processes can we and guidelines can we make the team mm. follow, but the right ones to make sure it's because the result of the process should be to solve a problem around productivity or, as you put it, their experience, improving the experience, and things like guidelines that make code more readable. Those are proven to show that they make code more maintainable, mm. e- easier to refactor, etc. So I love jobs like that. I have gravitated towards things that help internal developers do their job better most of my career um regardless of what my title was so i'm i i'm a big fan of that kind of work are you excited to get started on that
1: yeah and you know uh that's why i'm hesitant to say that it's development productivity only it's because it's not only internal developers uh the reason is that uh uh, we have external developers, external customers that want to use our product in their oh, solutions. Oh, that, yes. that's
0: different. That's different. That's really cool, too.
1: Yeah. So it's connecting these lines from our developers to them and making sure that all information is in place.
0: Yes, yes, I get it. A long time ago at Microsoft, I worked on a product uh, that had this primary customer was external developers. And I remember working on a lot of tools there to help them be more successful and putting on, I'm not sure if this is part of your, really part of your role or part of the charter or not, but I remember putting together uh, workshops for them both. They weren't online then. Today I do them online, especially today, today. But I remember, I remember inviting uh, a dozen or 20 of them to Microsoft to give them a couple days of workshops on how to use our tools. That was uh, a lot of fun.
1: Mm, nice yeah Uh, it's actually one of the things that um, I was doing last week so it's we're preparing API documentation uh, and uh, before we just didn't have it at all so use cases and stuff like
0: that I'm excited about that so you're working with a team of people working on the same thing
1: um team of one
0: (laughs) so just you all by yourself
1: uh well uh Yes and no, because I need to connect with everyone. And uh, this is a whole company approach I mentioned to you before the starting podcast. Is that um, the very, no, not the very, the most important thing is that uh, generally I see the testers, they are like, okay, I'm doing my job. And that's it. But as I see it, the, the really good job comes when you actually try to interact with everyone. It's not just, you know, developers and not just tech writers. Uh, though even sometimes I notice that the testers don't even know who are tech writers. are. I remember that on my previous project. Uh, we didn't even saw the results of their work. Uh, but also these sales, with marketing, because these guys are working with our customers, with our clients. You should know what are they Telling people about us or oh, in the case of our uh, sales team, uh, they really, I think it's our first line of defense of knowing what actually customers want because our product is uh, currently, I think is most common on-premises installation it's behind the firewall. We don't have much telemetry there. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> So, we
0: have a similar challenge to work with one of our products, but yeah, that's a challenge.
1: Yeah. So people who work directly with customers are very important, and as a tester or as any other member of the company, mm-hmm. you should talk with every department to understand it. Uh, as our uh, uh, in our company, we have some thing called uh, how is it properly called? Okay. I forgot it. But uh, there is a management uh, perspective of how the uh, company should be open to everyone. So we, every month we have a meeting where we discuss uh, you know, financial statistics, how what's done in marketing, what's done in sales, how we can help them. It's not just being in on your bubble, but go around to speak with these people.
0: It sounds like a really fun job. And I'm already imagining some ways in which... You may be able to apply modern testing principles there, but I'm curious. So in your, you you talk about only having five years of experience, but I think the number isn't as important. It sounds like you've had a good variety and breadth of experience. So I'm curious how you've seen the modern testing principles uh, manifest in the jobs you've had, and especially in the job you're going into.
1: Because I don't have, very good memory i have a memo with the principles and i will look into it and just go <laughs> one okay.
0: by one I, <laughs> <okay>. B- <laughs> brent and i don't have them memorized either
1: yeah so uh the first uh, principle is actually what i was just was talking about yes it is that's, that's, and that's a, yeah. yeah and i think last month or maybe yeah i think it was last month uh, we actually uh Uh, our monthly meeting was uh, suspended in preference of having a meeting to to brainstorm our customers who were in the red or orange zone uh, from the support or from development or from the sales perspective and generate ideas about how we can move them to green zone that they like us more. (laughs) And uh, as a tester, you we had a lots of insight in this meeting because some of the customers were in a red zone because we didn't know about their environment, and we weren't testing in that particular case. And this ended up badly. <laughs> so the priority is to understand that uh, all our action can improve business in some way. So we need to go around to gather information about it and act on it. And that's where the second uh, principle helps is, uh, you know, system thinking, theory constraints. You need to understand where bottlenecks are, where where problems arise, where where is a loss of feedback.
0: Yeah, and especially, all these are ringing true as so you are talking about your job. I'll interrupt for just a moment. But we are talking about you are the glue who's connecting a lot of different yes. parts of the organization together. That's principle too.
1: Yeah. Oh, by the way, I remember there was a topic. Uh, yeah, there was some talk on the conference. Uh, probably it was shared in our Slack about uh, being a glue person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually what I like to do most. And um, I think Melissa in the previous episode said that uh, in some of the job description, people just assume that you will do one thing and don't go around to it. And uh, that's not interesting at all. It's way better to be that kind of glue to understand everything. Well, not be an expert in everything, obviously, but (laughs) to help people do their job better.
0: Yes. Yes. There are some of us like you and I and others who that's where we thrive. I love being the, as you've heard me call myself before, the specializing generalist and a lot about a little and a little about a lot.
1: Yes. No. Um, it's, uh, going back to the principles with principle number three. Um, well, yes, I can see us as a force of continuous improvement, but in my experience, um safety net culture is not going away soon. I remember my previous company and its projects and uh well they hired us because they wanted Safety Net.
0: Yes. Yes, but yeah. in your but in your new role as you described it, you have moved yourself upstream.
1: Um there are problems with it, I think. Um because uh Maybe our company sounds like a startup, but, you know, this openness and stuff, but it's actually not. It's very, very old company. We have such an old code. Our testing framework is written halfway in bash <laughs> uh, because it was Beautiful. written before there were tests and frameworks. So in this position, when you don't really have a lot of unit tests and stuff, yes, testing team is safety net. Unfortunately. And to go from not from being safety net and not being safety net, net, you need a lot of stuff to do, a lot of time to do. It's not one year or two years. I think it's it will take a time. So that's why I'm, I'm a bit uh, skeptical when you say that there is a so the tipping port or not. No, nah, I don't think so. Um, I saw that several companies uh, on the, my previous work and there's many people who are still very reliant on testers.
0: Yeah, sometimes Brent and I choose to ignore those, and I've often used the uh, diffusion of innovation curve that was made famous mm-hmm. in the Crossing the Chasm book. That shows that there will always be laggards. There'll be a, there'll be the I forget the names of the sections, but we're not on the the super forefront of innovation, but mm-hmm. we're out on the front of the curve, and it just means that a lot of companies are just still back there. Some will stay back there, but we're hoping. But as you know, and as you've seen from talking to people on the Slack channel and hearing other talks about modern testing, this is happening. This is happening whether Brent and I were going to discuss it or not. We just put a name to some things we were seeing that we liked.
1: So sure. it's going to happen. Just yeah. yeah it, it,
0: in some companies, we know it's going to take a long, long time.
1: Yeah. And the problem is that there is a kind of bias. Uh, people who participate in Slack or even uh, in testing survey, there are active people. And I don't think that many people in the testing community are active people. There are a lot of passives there. Um, so... I think there is a kind of a bias in a way of seeing uh, the whole picture. Maybe there should be some scientific study that actually, you know, pick up companies at random in different countries. You know.
0: Yep, and any yeah. of the surveys that come out, it's it's hard because yeah, the testers at those companies aren't really involved in the overall internet testing community very often. Somehow, yes. somehow, you grew out of it anyway but we don't always get a fair sample size when we do testing surveys or testing polls.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Any other principles you wanted to call out as interesting in the scope of the work that you've seen?
1: Uh, Well, I have an anecdote to share about the principle number five.
0: Love it. Uh, Bring it on. Yeah.
1: Customer capable, only customer is capable of judging quality. So um, that government project I mentioned that I had a burnout from it. And one of the reasons was that we were not really allowed to communicate with customers, but we were seeing support tickets because we were, uh, the people who were called test analysts uh, had the the task to analyze last level of support stuff. And uh, sometimes we saw things like uh, people uh, naming us, uh, alcoholic drunkards and stuff like that. And I think, uh, a month ago I saw an article where in the comments, people mentioned that they didn't even think that this project had any testers at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that was not very good for your mental health because you know, you work hard. You try to work hard, but this is a government project and laws change. And you need to change with it very fast. And sometimes laws doesn't make sense. Uh, In our case, uh, we actually had a problem when people try, analytics try to design the requirements. It is just, they see that some law uh, doesn't make sense in conjunction with another law. And they had to propagate it to the government that so they should change the laws because we cannot develop it like that. It, it won't work. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in this case, uh, we, the problem for me that even though we work hard, you know, and people like uh, management team were saying that, yes, you're, we're doing everything we can, but because there was not enough feedback from us to customer to, to explain to them why uh, we have some problems and or we know we have these problems and we're working on it, but there are some priorities in place that uh, contradict it and stuff like that. Uh, we I still see that generally external developers hated it. And, okay. <laughs> And this is all that matters in the end when you see that, yeah, you do your hard work, but people just don't like it. That's it. It doesn't matter what, uh, quality culture you have. If people don't like your
0: product. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, that's, that's quite a story. Uh, it does show that, I mean, mm-hmm. al- although you can, the, the point that really struck me in there is the thing Brent and I don't want to see people or testers move past is the idea that they're responsible for quality. Yeah. You know, if if the customer is complaining about quality, it shouldn't just be one part, part of the organization feeling bad. Everyone should feel bad.
1: Well, I think in that case, uh, developers definitely felt bad too.
0: Okay, good. <laughs> good as long as everybody's in a little bit of misery it seems fair yeah it seems fair (laughs) that's great i'm you know you've brought up a few times that i mentioned it earlier your Mm -hmm. five years of experience but in that five years you certainly i certainly wasn't as far along in my career as far as thinking about things and thinking about systems thinking thinking about how i could affect bigger parts of the team. Some of the things you're thinking about, I was not doing five years into my career. So I'm impressed. And another thing I've been impressed about is how much, and of course, you know, I'm old enough. There really wasn't much of an internet when I was five years into my career, but, uh, you're all over the internet, but not as Yulia as this name I can't pronounce. I hope you can help me with it's, uh, obvious case office Hel- Help me out and tell me where that, tell me more about that name.
1: So, um, there is no proper pronunciation because it was created uh, to be unique enough to be searchable on the internet.
0: You yeah. are so much smarter than me.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> uh, at first, uh, it was a very long time ago when I was a teenager and I had um, we were trying to come up with a you know nickname. And we were looking for the, I think it was Latin dictionary. And, okay, Avis, sounds great. It's birth in Latin. You know, teenagers. <laughs> and uh, then I found out that it's, it's not very unique nickname. And I had to extend it somehow. And I just added some suffix. Like, case. Okay, whatever. So it's now with Aviscas. But generally, when people need to pronounce it a lot, like in video games, they just tell it like Avis, Avi. So that's it. That's the story. But uh, the fun part is that at first it was a viscous without E. And then I added E because it makes it even more
0: unique. (laughs) Wow. You have such foresight to do that because... i've told there's a long story on my blog about where the name angry weasel Mm -hmm. came from but it is not a unique name in fact there is another angry weasel on twitter who has posted one post ever like six years ago and can't get their handle from them and of course alan page is the name of a famous american Mm -hmm. football player so there's no uniqueness about me and i'm not i'm I've become searchable as I've gotten older, but that is so smart. Yeah, I, I did a little bit of internet stalking and I see GitHub repos and posts and references to your, your GitHub repos on... Stack Overflow conversations. It is highly searchable. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Someone, someone. By the way, if you search your name, one of the, like the third post down is someone thanking you for something you posted in one of your gists on GitHub.
1: Oh no! Oh, that's that's very bad story. By the way,
0: <laughs> I, I admittedly I only skimmed, but they they it was something about installing Postman. I think on Linux. I
1: broke Postman. Yeah, I broke Postman. at one time in my life. <laughs> it was uh, so. a uh, Apparently, GitHub doesn't send you a notification when people comment your Gists. So I didn't notice that it was very popular Gists. I just created it for me to be able to install it. Which is what those are
0: supposed to be for, but yeah.
1: Yeah, but people started finding it, uh, commenting it, using it. And I'm not using Postman, by the way. And I'm actually kind of against using it now.
0: I I, I Um, saw saw you you have a blog post talking about that.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I and the, every day it got worse for me because I think they're, they are almost like soap UI now. People just assume that for API testing, you need Postman, and, and that's it. Uh, <laughs> but that's not gentle. So uh, one day, uh, their uh, support team for Postman approached me and said that they implemented uh, native installation and native update. And people who used my gist to install Postman are not able to update it because <laughs> I had some special, I think I was installing it on the root. So uh, they actually had to trace it to my gist <laughs> and they asked me to update it.
0: You are internet famous. That's fantastic. That
1: was just one thing. <laughs>
0: That's a wonderful story. So uh, the good news is, is, I'll I'll put a link to your blog here, but people who want to find out more about you and just kind of find random information about you, you can just search on Avis-case, Aviscus, Avis-case, 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 however, however you want to pronounce it. But that's... that's what they want. <laughs> it doesn't matter, but that is so smart. That should be... Every teenager should do that. Everyone should actually work harder to find a unique name versus their first and last name plus some numbers afterwards. I'm so impressed. This has is, this is blown my mind. It's made my whole month, and it's only April 3rd.
1: <laughs> well, uh, the thing is that my first and last name are pretty unique as well, at, at least in Kazakhstan and Canada.
0: Yes, but no one, no one wants to be stalked on the internet by their first and last name. Sure. It, it helps you separate you, the person, from you, the internet personality. That's my take on it. All right, we are out of time, but I've uh, mm-hmm. this has been great. I've loved talking to you. Thank you for volunteering to be on the show. It's been great. And uh, any last words, or are you on Twitter? No, you don't seem like a Twitter person. But uh, I will, I will give the links to your blog on the in the show notes. And anything else mm-hmm. I should point to? Oh, uh,
1: I don't think so. Okay. If somebody just wants to talk to me, just ping me somewhere
0: where you find me. <laughs> Good advice, good advice. All right, Mm -hmm. well, thank you very much. Have a wonderful weekend and good luck with with the quarantine.
1: Yeah, good luck too, too.